0: We talk the Happy Time Murders, the reimagining of Shira and the Thundercats, and the WWE lays the money smackdown on Fox. All this and more on a full episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. Thank you so much for tuning in and sticking around with us and listening in on the show. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man and myth, the legend behind Rob McCallum Films. you got to check out all the great stuff going on. His site, robmccallumfilms.com, including Galaxy Hope, which you can sign up for today at kickstarter.com. Pick a tier that's best for you because I'll tell you what, supporting this great cause, everything that's going on in the making of this great adventure is just truly something special indeed. In fact, digital downloads start at just $5. That's $5 out there for you. Just sign up today, galaxyhope at kickstarter.com. It is my good friend, it's Mr. Rob McCallum. What's going on, man? Oh, well, like you say, another day in
1: paradise, week after week. We continue to be blessed with the good weather here in the great white north. And, you know, it's only been a few days since we recorded the last episode of Crossfire, but lots happening in the world of pop culture. Sometimes the weeks are a bit dry, and this one was a few days, and we got lots of juice.
0: Oh, that we did. It's it's that time of the year when pop culture news seems to flow very 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 quickly and you're right, there is ebbs and ties between slow periods and periods that are really busy. And right now in the middle of summer movie seasons coming out right now it's and you've got a lot of stuff going on with the upfronts and television and a lot of a lot of decisions that were made. in fact some are still being made and I'll tell you what it's just a great time indeed for everybody out there who loves pop culture.
1: Well what we're going to talk about today really looks into the not too distant future. Uh, That's the theme we're going to run with. We're going to take a look at a trailer that came out. We're going to look at some reboots in the works. And then we're going to look at a five-year TV pact that's fresh off the presses. So first up is a subject that you and I have talked about a few times in terms of ongoing legacy and the future of the people involved with this company. And that's Happy Time Murders, the new Brian Henson film that came out, which is an R-rated buddy cop film starring melissa mccarthy and a puppet performed by bill beretta this is straight up adult humor very much in the vein of ted and it is as raunchy as possible somebody online i saw compared it to sausage party but with muppets so if pixar is to sausage party this would be to you know sesame street to happy time murders did you get a chance to check out the red band trailer for this
0: I did. It's uh, quite amusing. It does really. Uh, well, I'm going to
1: have to say no. It's not,
0: as far as the concept is concerned. Uh, I don't but, think
1: so. I really don't. I think they're they're lazy here. They're lazy here. I think that there's really nothing special about this. I want to love it. I love adult puppet humor. I really like Meet the Feebles, a Peter Jackson film, which is a, a raunchy parody on on the Muppet Show. Uh, back, I think, in 1990, it came out. This just reeks of another stale storyline in which somebody is going around killing puppets from a beloved uh, children's show. And the, these two cops are going out to try to stop it. Uh, of course, the, the niche hook is that one of them is a puppet. And there's going to be tons of in-jokes. And even the trailer makes uh, uh, no shy reference that the director, Brian Henson, directed Muppet Treasure Island, Muppet Christmas Carol, some episodes of Muppets Tonight. And they're throwing, you know, the Sesame Street legacy in there. I just, I just don't think it's funny. Like, I'm, I'm all for it. I just don't think it's funny. I think it's the lowest common denominator of humor on, on display. I think the film's going to do very poorly at the box office. I said the overall take is going to be twenty million or
0: less. That could be uh, quite a possibility because people, if they don't key in on it right away, then they're just going to turn it off and see it as something that, well, you know, just something they could, they're going to miss and not going to be able to be interested in it so i could see that but i just thought it was kind of cool concept as far as trying to poke stabs at at the sesame street genre and and that whole type of feel but you're right poking fun at something that uh that type of uh, i i guess you can poke fun at it but it just doesn't really make sense for a lot of people to go ahead and and really poke fun at something that that beloved such as Sesame Street.
1: I mean, I think when it comes to poking fun at franchises like The Muppet Show or The Sesame Street, we've already got two great examples in pop culture that have done it extraordinarily well, maybe three. We've got The Simpsons. We've got Family Guy. And we've even, even got Saturday Night Live that, that throws the occasional rib towards The, the Muppets or, or Sesame Street themselves. You've got some really funny sketches and scenes on Family Guy in particular that roasts uh, every setup that's going on in, in Sesame Street. So, for this to come out, it feels stale by concept. It would have been, I think, a little bit more ahead of the curve if they didn't try to make it so overt that this is the thing that they're parroting and playing against. Just play it straight and actually come up with a really good plot. Like, why don't they try to actually set this in, in a fantasy world or something that's a little bit more magical? Or Robert, maybe backwards. like a
0: Roger Rabbit scenario?
1: Yeah, a little bit. And I did read an article that kind of compared it to Roger Rabbit in that situation where it's the team up between the tune and the cop, in this case, the puppet and the cop. So even by that uh, observation, it feels dated and stale. But if you were to set this, you know, maybe, uh, and how different is this than bright that came out around Christmas time with the orcs living in LA and this is set in LA teaming up with the human cop uh, as well there. Right. So now we're seeing this again in that film. Got spanned big time. Now Netflix said the streaming numbers were really high, but you know they that were off the
0: charts. It's one of the highest viewed counts on Netflix, according to them.
1: According to them, it's really it's those statements are really easy to make when they can say according to them, and we have well, the, they already greenlit the a sequel. Why wouldn't they? Because they can say it's the best thing going on, and they've got Will Smith probably under contract. It's an easy gig for him to do. First of all, I'm not a huge fan of the buddy cop setup. I think after the original Lethal Weapons came out, it got a little stale. I haven't seen too many good takes on it since then. Training Day was a nice little sidestep into that genre. I think that gave people some chills into what it could be like uh, to be a crooked or uh, a dirty cop. But I don't. I don't see this working. And you know, I said twenty million. I'm, I'm going to say it's going to be under ten million. I think where this is going to have any life is going to be uh, the streaming and the disc side of things where people. Check it out because there's really reluctantly nothing else out there. I don't think Melissa McCarthy is an inspired cast decision. She's signing up for so much that unlike The Rock, who makes every film he appear in feel special, she feels like she's doing the same thing a lot of the time in every film. And you sure you know what you get with her, but I just don't feel like it's going to be an extra special appearance with with her as the lead human, so to speak.
0: Life of the Party debuted at one of her lowest starring vehicles. So I I, I agree with you on that. There is the law of diminishing returns. Maybe a change of scenery or a change of direction for her would probably be best. But like you said, the the trailer itself did not meet your expectations. And it also didn't meet a lot of others as well. As I'm gathering the information online and I see social media right now from what I'm looking at it, you're right. It's not going over well. Almost as bad as the Thundercats, my friend. Well, we'll we'll get to that.
1: You should also know that Happy Time Murders has been in development for over ten years, and it originally had a concept that I thought was much stronger. And that's, I believe, somebody was going around killing a bunch of fairies, and it was set in a more fantastical place. And the human was more the oddball side of it than the fantastical creatures that inhabited this LA-like world in the, the fairy tale kind of land so to speak i thought that drew a lot a lot more interest i think with that the human being the kind of fish out of water it's an easier window for the audience to jump into this world and, and i think you can play with a lot more magical elements in the way that harry potter introduces wizardry in the mix with uh real society so to speak so if that is the concept i'm thinking of and they switched it the other way i think it's a big mistake on their part i think it's a a major goof for Brian Henson to do this and add it to his film, filmography with all the other films that that he's had in there. I know this also comes on the heels of him doing a lot of the puppet up improv sessions that started in Vegas about 10 years ago and had the occasional month long run at places like the Venetian and the Luxor, I believe. But again, I'm a, I'm for adult humor when it comes to puppets and puppetry and stuff. I just think this is stale and I didn't think any of the jokes were new or fresh or, you know, really anything to write home about. So,
0: well, I think as it comes down to the fact that studios are occasionally looking for something outside of the normal realm, and adult humor seems to every now and then, when it's done correctly, hit actually and surprise a lot at the box office. Like you mentioned earlier, Sausage Party, that was a big surprise hit for Sony, and I, I just. See this kind of as a follow up in that, in that, but a lesser version of it, yeah, but a lesser version of it. And obviously, it's not scoring well with you. And and like I said, from what I'm reading online, it's not scoring well with a lot of other people. And I I just don't think the happy time murders thing, I I think the title itself is probably just something that, that like I said, it starts off that down road as far as a movie that's not going to be end up being successful when all is said and done. You're
1: listening to the pop culture cosmos.
0: Nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. Pop Culture Cosmos listeners, act now and get 15% off your order just by entering the promo code POD1, that's P-O-D and the number 1 at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com.
1: Speaking of things that may or may not be successful, I want to talk about our next subject, and that is the reboot Royal Rumble. We've got a pair of shows that are, that are set to come out with very differing opinions, very different social media buzzes about them. And we've got our first look at both of them.
0: Well, first of all, I thought you thought you were going to talk about when you said Royal Rumble about WWE. I know they they're. Well, we're going to get to that later as well. Exactly. So that's uh, like Royal Rumble. You see that's how great. I tie all
1: these things together? This uh, doesn't happen overnight, Gerald. There's there's some method to the madness.
0: Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I was just waiting for my turn to go out there and you know grapple against the other guy. You got
1: to wait then. for the countdown and then you can enter the ring.
0: But uh, if you go over the top rope, you're out. Well, well you know, if I uh, tell you what. If I go out like Titus O'Neil did in the in the 50 Man Greatest Royal Rumble he'd like a couple months ago, then that would be really bad.
1: It may be. I missed that one, but I'll take your word for it.
0: He tripped and actually fell underneath. He slid underneath the ring. He was actually running down, tripped as he was going into the uh, ring area, and yeah, he actually see him go head first underneath the ring. And let's just say it was very good that there's actually nothing underneath the ring. Because if he went a couple inches higher, he would not be living today.
1: Wow. Wow, so be it. But it it. created great memes out there for the internet. I bet. I bet it did. So today on the reboot reboot Royal Rumble, we're taking a look at She-Ra and the Princesses of Power and Thundercats Roar. Now, we got to see our official teaser art for She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, which features a silhouetted She-Ra, I'm assuming, on top of a mountain in Etheria with a very cosmic and pink and purple swirly magical background holding her sword high with some rainbow like sparkles coming out and it looks to promise all that wonder and magic that we knew from the original series and we got to see the logo for the first time which is very reminiscent again of the original but now we got to see the the ancillary title and the original show back in the 80s was she-ra princess of power this one is she-ra and the princesses of power which is very akin to He-Man in the Masters of the Universe. Now, I'm curious to see if Disney and their princesses are ever going to have a Royal Rumble with these princesses and to see who's going to, I don't know, come out on top. A lot of people were really excited with the teaser image. Being in the He-Man Shira kind of community, there was, of course, a good vocal minority, I would say, of people that are saying, this is wrecking my childhood. You've murdered my youth. But I think overall, most people were really, really... Uh, excited for it, and the press release gave us a lot of information that we had no idea was coming to, and it confirmed a lot. So here's a little snippet from that. Shira boasts a rather impressive voice cast, including Amy Carrero, young and hungry, as Adori, uh, as Adora and Shira; Jordan Fisher uh, as Seahawk; Marcus Scribner as Bo; Lorraine Toussaint as Shadow Weaver; Sandra O oh, as Castispella, Karen uh, Fukuhara as Glimmer. Uh, And the list goes on and on, including other characters like Catra and Jella. The one notable thing that fans picked up on is Keston John has been cast as Hordak. Now, we weren't sure if Hordak and the Horde were actually going to be part of this, since it was initially a Masters of the Universe line, even though he ended up being She-Ra's main antagonist. So this actually confirms that front and center. We also get word that Crystal J. Brown is, is cast as Natosa, which in the in the canon of princesses from the original show, of Shira, she was the only friend of Shira that had any color. So it was really nice to see that they're actually going to bring the Tosa back into the mix, and hopefully not just as a one-off uh, episode that she'll be front and center and have a little bit of diversity for those princesses of power. So that's in one corner, and in the other corner, out of nowhere, because I don't, I didn't expect this to come. I don't think you expected this to come. We get word that. A new show is coming to Cartoon Network based on the Thundercats franchise. And this is Thundercats Roar. We got to see a three-minute or so announcement trailer that showcased the animation. And we got to meet the creators who assure us that they're longtime fans of it. And they know uh, what was important to Thundercats and what they wanted to try to do with the new show. And maybe unsurprisingly, to me at least, the animation and the approach is very much cartoony. And it's very much young adult or, you know, older skewing toddler. They're going for that Teen Titans Go crowd where zany, slapsticky, in your face kind of funny setups instead of dramatic, serious, overtone, adult fan collector, preserve my childhood and bring everything that was great about the show from the 80s forward what were some of the favorite things that you saw online about the reaction of Thundercats roar? And did you have a gut reaction when you saw it?
0: I'm not a huge fan of the Thundercats series. I will say that, uh, it, it's kind of funny to see the online reactions because there are plenty of them and none of them are good that anybody who has a memory of the series from what I've seen is not a big fan of it. I mean, uh, I know the host of the Jock and Nerd podcast. He commented just with you know three words, no, just no. I know he got a long trail of people after that commenting on his comments with the same type of vibe. I know other friends uh, that I think one of the makers of uh, FX Yuki, Yuki Uni. He he also I think it was Jesse Hernandez. He. Jesse Jesse he, he caught he commented as well on it it's saying it was just shattering its dreams as well. I, I just like you said it, it just seems to be a poor choice especially the the, the difference from the original series uh, from what I remember of it anyways it just seems to be a poor choice I, I understand what Cartoon Network does. I understand their cartoon style. Uh, and I, I obviously they've done extremely well with Rick and Morty and that style of comedy and that style of goofball, zany type of atmosphere, co- social commentary and all that. But I don't think I would have chosen the, the Thundercats. I probably would have th- would suggested them do something original because they've struck a gold with Rick and Morty. Why not do it again?
1: Well, you know, I th- I'm going to be in the very, very, very small minority Maybe the only one out there, aside from the show's creators, that actually really likes the direction they're going in. Now, I, I should say a few things. One, I wasn't a fan of the show back in the day. Uh, there's a lot of parallels with it in He-Man and the Masters universe. It was just something that, for whatever reason, didn't fall into my scope of regular viewing. I didn't really get into it either. Like It, it is essentially very similar to He-Man, right? You've got the good guys and all of their, their characters with their specific powers. You've got this, this magic sword that transforms the hero. You've got a skeletal-like uh, villain. Mumra is very similar to Skeletor. I mean, Thundercats and He-Man had a crossover. And you could see the parallel characters and the parallel uh, st- stakes and and what pushed each side uh, going was, was very like right down the, the same path. But for whatever reason, back in the day, Thundercats just never spoke to me. I never had any figures growing up. Never really watched the show. Everybody that's complaining about the direction the Thundercats go and saying they wanted, they they would rather it be something more adult, something more close to the original series. Where were you in 2011 when they did exactly that? It did exactly that. It was very similar to the 2001, 2002 He-Man reboot. That was close to the original show. It was adult skewing, great animation, good storylines. They did the same thing for Thundercats in 2011. Produced a ton of toys that were really decent, had great package art on it, and it died after one season because nobody watched it and nobody supported it.
0: Well, that's the thing. I I don't think they're trying to go ahead necessarily to pick up on nostalgia. I just think Cartoon Network is actually using nostalgia in this case just as a a foundation so to speak for something new that they want to bring up and and have it skew to a younger crowd than who actually watched the Thundercat series i don't think in this case they're playing to those people that are familiar and love the Thundercat series i think they're just trying to reach a brand new audience and it is with that teen titans rick and morty style animation style you know kind of craziness goofball type deal that they're trying to cater to a new crowd and trying to get a new audience from it and not necessarily trying to grab at that old nostalgic audience that a lot of other nostalgic shows that are that have come back are trying to reach to today.
1: I like where they're going with it and I think, you know, listeners that have been uh, following along in the Cosmic Crossfire, the Pop Culture Cosmos and the uh, PCC Multiverse will even recall me saying if He-Man comes back as a cartoon they should look at something goofy like a Teen Titans approach because it is such a, a silly concept to have a character named He-Man to begin with leading the charge that it has to be zany. It has to be off the wall and it has to skew towards what younger audiences are you know, really hooked into today if it's going to have any long-term success. So when I saw this, I thought... They beat He-Man to the punch because He-Man could totally reboot like this and not take itself seriously and be zany and still have all that mythos that we know works, that connects together on those story points, and bring it forward. I think that the folks at He-Man missed missed the boat here, and I think you're going to see Thundercats roar actually do really well, even if the original fan base is upset with
0: it. I will say this, that from my memories of thundercats watching the few episodes i did as compared to he-man which i watched gr- quite a bit more the hokiness level of he-man was really that was really high so i, yeah. I agree with you I, re- I agree with you on that that it, it could translate better into a comedic series today you you know you have. I mean, all take those
1: end taglines, right? Like, how funny could those be played up?
0: Well, well you're talking about so, Shira as well, and and how you know I liked actually the image and, and what was brought out. And I'm kind of you know down with the fact that she's coming back, but you, you talk about the hokiness of it, the fact that you uh, it just brought back memories of how hokey it was when you're talking about some of the names in there, a Spella. I mean, how lazy of, of writing it. What and is she going to do? She's going to cast a spell Exactly. So that it's just that y- y- they didn't take it seriously. So if they didn't take it seriously then, it, it's just sure as heck they're, they're not going to be able to take it seriously now, and you can't take it in that type of direction for He-Man. Now, She-Ra, it sounds like they're going to keep it on this to kind of a serious nature, but maybe they, she, well, I, I don't know. Would you like to see she-ra go into that direction as well or do you think that should remain kind of like a serious dramatic type deal even though like like we said with the names themselves it just lends to a hokey type of nature
1: i think that there's some goofiness that can play into Shira, but in the goofy kind of sense of what it's like to be a young girl these days, trying to figure out who you are and what the right choices to make as an individual amongst a group of people that are trying to do something and having, and I think we all have that sense of these dual identities and we got to play these different roles in our lives. And that is inherently comedic on some level. I mean, Look at Clark Kent and, and, and Superman in and the Christopher Reeves movie, the way that Clark comes across as awkward and bumbling. That's an act, of course, but that's something we can all relate to, never quite feeling comfortable in our skin. And I think if Shira is set kind of like as a teenage girl, I don't. again, I don't know. Nobody really knows how old she is or, or what the deal is or how old any of the rebels are, which is the group of the princesses, I guess, the, the rebellion, the great rebellion. Then I think you can mine some really good stories for, for for girls today. Some really good youthful tales of what it's like growing up and the challenges and the choices that you're going to make. And within that comes a a certain sense of humor where you've got to laugh at the situation because growing up on some level is funny. The, the choices that you make as a kid, the things that you do as a kid so, sound so right in the time. But you look back and they're just goofy decisions like this is the great outfit I'm going to wear or look at all the cologne I'm going to put on to try to impress people there's there could be a lot of great storylines in, in the Shira stuff they're doing without it taking itself too seriously and still maintaining a great sense of action, but a really great sense of identity and connection to young girls who don't have a lot of superheroes that they can really attach to and look up to and, and learn from.
0: Does that mean the end of show PSAs would be taken out? Because I love those, man. I just love I,
1: I hope not. I, I hope that they're in there. You know.
0: Because some of them were just, you know, you would have these wild stories, especially on the He-Man side about the battle for e- Eternia and all that. And, and at the end of the day, He-Man would kindly tell you, "Please, kids, make sure you you look both ways before you cross, cross that the street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was always strange
1: to me when when PSAs were. You would think that you'd know what the moral is, having based on the show where where one of the characters mixed up, and okay, that's what I got to learn from this. But then the, when the PSA relates more to our world than an incident that happened in the show's world. That's when I was like, well, this is just definitely being tagged on at the end for some sort of you know, uh, quota to fulfill.
0: That's why, it's just part of the reason why He-Man was so entertaining in so many different ways, which leads me to a question I want to ask you. I know we talked about when you were running down some of the characters for this series. Do you think that there's actually going to be a bleed in more of even uh, a larger contingent of He-Man characters, possibly even He-Man himself.
1: I really don't think He-Man's going to be part of this. Having made Power of Grey Skull, the definitive history of He-Man in the Masters of the Universe, and delving into She-Ra, of course, a documentary that you got to check out ahead of time already, and the release is just around the corner, folks, and we'll have some details on how you can pre-order a disc so that you can get it kind of day one, uh, at the same time, some of our Kickstarter backers get it, and you'll get some more release information. And, and I should say, our disc, if anybody is a Shiro or He Man fan, it's going to be packed full of goodies. Kickstarter backers are going to have some extra stuff that's special just for them, of course. But I was just talking to Isaac, uh, one of our producers and, and director of photography. We've got lots of stuff on there. Um, from what we learned making that film, the rights for He Man and Shiro are very separate. Um, so. That's why I was surprised to see Hordak mentioned as a character in this because of where that character originated and how uh, he is tied up. But it's interesting to see he's part of this. I don't think that He-Man is going to be part of this. I think this is like she chance to stand on her own and not stand by, by contrast or in the shadow of, of
0: He-Man as a character. I think it would be a mistake to bring He-Man into the fold. Dumb question, number one. Does Mattel still own any rights to either? And number dumb question number two, is Filmation still have any type of say or are they just closed as an entity?
1: No, Filmation is closed as an entity. Their library was bought by Nestle and it's since been shopped around and Universal owns a lot of those cartoon rights and DreamWorks as well. Mattel owns certain rights, of course, but other things have been licensed out, like the toys. Uh, Mattel has licensed out to Super 7 uh, as well right now. Uh, but the She-Ra toys have a different license as well. And it's weird because some of those She-Ra characters appear in the He-Man line, so I don't know the legal footsteps that are behind that. But there's a lot of tap dancing, and I don't have like a full list that I can say who owns exactly what right in front of me, but it's it's muddy. And we had a lot of problems with the film because of that, that we made. So it's, uh, it's really going to be interesting to see the direction that they go with She-Ra. Princesses of power, and I'm equally curious to see what happens with Thundercats roar to see if they can duplicate the success of stuff like teen titans go and steven universe and these other kind of uh, eye candy crack shows that uh, cartoon network has been churning out as of late
0: like i said they're not going to be able to appeal appeal to the fans uh, that are looking for nostalgia in this case i think they're trying to reach like you said to those fans of steven universe Mm -hmm. Teen titans go and rick and morty and the whole nine yards uh, a younger audience they're trying to skew to that audience and and hopefully, again, try to create another hit show from it.
1: You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from robmccallumfilms.com. robmccallumfilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. You alluded to it earlier. We just finished a segment called Reboot Royal Rumble. We've got to talk about WWE and Fox and their five-year... A pack that's worth over a billion dollars for Fox to stream SmackDown or to showcase broadcast SmackDown. Now there's still some details that haven't been uh, revealed. Currently, USA has uh, SmackDown rights and it airs on Thurs or on Tuesday live. And it looks like the Fox deal is going to have SmackDown on Friday. It is probably going to be pre-recorded and taped like it originally was back in the day. Uh, when there was Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, it used to be on Thursday on UPN. Not
0: definitive um, yet, because the fact, I, I know that Fox is still trying to put some pressure on a live format, but like you said, it's it's neither here nor there, because I know for travel schedule reasons, that could be very, very hard to do, because especially if, if you know, you've got split crews going all over the world and whatnot, that, that could be an issue as far as having it on Friday nights live, but... Yeah, and
1: that's some that's some of the issues too, right? Because usually they'll stay in the same venue and switch everything over with everything set up for the second show, the Tuesday night, so that it is easy to go live for both of them and then pack up and, and move out next week rather than having a lot of the different moving pieces around. I've actually never really been a fan of SmackDown as a brand. I remember when it was introduced and I remember the big uh, draft of of wrestlers and talent that went to the SmackDown show. And of course, the WCW draft that happened where different characters went to different programs again. I think there's too much talent right now in the WWE that I would rather see two shows a week and watch those storylines unfold quicker than one show and wait another week for it and then see another kind of storyline and and keep that up because I think you're really just dividing your brand and what is good and what isn't good or what's appealing. And that makes the pay-per-views that much muddier as well in my opinion. But this is really interesting, right? Like Fox acquiring some TV assets. We're still in the midst of the Disney Fox deal with Comcast looming in the background. Is this going to be part of the TV pack? Probably not. Cause it's on the sports side and we know Fox sports is, is separate from that Disney merger. So it's interesting to see them invest so much heavily in, into something like WWE and for WWE to pick Fox as, as a partner going forward after so much success on USA, Dating really back to the to the mid nineties, what uh, was your reaction when you heard about this deal going down?
0: Well, it's it started with the, the speculation started as soon as USA Universal said that they were going to go ahead and re- not renew the contract with uh, WWE, and you were thinking to yourself, okay, why would they not keep a Show that gets between two and a half, I think close to three million as viewers each and every week. As far as uh, you know, because what else did they have right now that's going to get that type of audience? Well, now we see the reasons why because WWE themselves are looking to actually broaden themselves and actually go into a different format. I think this is something that was coordinated as far as between. Universal letting it go because of the fact that they don't want to pay the extended dollars necessary in order to retain both shows from the WWE and WWE themselves wanting to go ahead and expand on back. Well, that's the first time they've been back since what, uh, I think they had the Saturday night special on Fox before they, after they had it on NBC. So I think it's been a little while since they had been on uh, any type of broadcast television. So the like you said the problem is logistics about wanting to do it live. I know Fo- I know Fox wants to do it live, but like you said when it comes down to it when they do their shows of Monday night raw, they do it at one location. Sometimes they will do it in the same arena the next day. Most times they will do it in an arena in and around the same area. Like for instance, LA to San Diego or somewhere in South Southern California, New York would be, let's say one at time in the Madison square garden. Next, next taping would be in SmackDown would be at Barclays center. So it's just, it, it's logistically, it, the, you know, for them, it has to be somewhere close in order to do those major tapings. Now you're asking between that three or four day bump to do it live and that's kind of hard as far as from a logistical value, what you're asking the WWE to do. So, but the problem is if you tape I, it,
1: I, I, but I got to tell you a billion dollars solves a lot of logistical issues.
0: It does because if you tape it, numbers go down. It's been proven as with the wrestling community as someone who follows wrestling on pretty much a daily basis still to this day, it, it, the Traditional numbers skew down if it's presented in a taped format, and that to me would be an issue. I think Fox has, as far as trying to not promote a live event, but it just it's it's kind of weird that they're they're canceling shows. Fox are that that are garnering two to two and a half million, like for instance, LA to Vegas just got canned. Yet they're willing to pony up, like you said, over five years a little over a billion dollars for SmackDown and something that's, that hopefully will garner uh, just maybe what a million more than that. I don't think at this point in time in the wrestling industry that you can count on more than three, three and a half million as far as a regular audience to sustain itself each and every week, because we're not at the point of what we were at in the late nineties when you had the major wrestling wars between world championship wrestling and WWE it has Right now, the market is definitively towards the WWE for better or for worse. And at this point in time, like you said, there is a glut of wrestlers out there in the WWE, none of which at this point in time have really broken themselves out as a major star that people can get behind. So you don't have that big rush of, let's say, a Hulkamania or a Steve Austin craze at this point in time. So you, all you have is... Right now, a a solid fan base that you go off of, but is that going to be able to sustain you long-term? So far, it's been okay because they've been sporting that and the WWE Network. WWE Networks continue to rise gradually each and every year. So that's been a big win for them. So I guess at this point in time, if you are satisfied with right around 3 million viewers, maybe three and a half, then a billion dollars may be worth it. But I'm just not exactly thrilled uh, as a, uh, well, I'm just not exactly thinking it's the best maneuver for the W for Fox to have garnered or ponied up so much money when I don't think they really had to because there's not really any other major entities out there that were really going to price match with what the WWE was asking for.
1: I'm a little surprised that we don't maybe forego SmackDown on a broadcast. Maybe Vince couldn't just pass up the opportunity, but to me, it seems like a perfect. Uh, opportunity to move forward with the wwe network and say smackdown is live on the wwe network the same way that their pay-per-views are and really push those sales and those numbers i also think in the back of my head usa is giving up smackdown which frees up a lot of dollars but then we got this other thing coming down the road and i think 2020 known as the xfl and maybe USA is going to get into business or NBC is going to get into business with the XFL again and, and kind of keep that partnership going. Which could
0: also really work with
1: Fox, right?
0: But Yes, that's true. But you got to remember, in the process of letting SmackDown go, or however you want to say it, there was a coordinated whatever, they also paid a big raise for Raw. So some of that money went back into the WWE when it comes to paying for the exclusive rights for monday night raw so it wasn't exactly a total let's get you know we we freed ourselves up of a billion dollars over five years it's it's you know they still actually had to pony up quite a bit more for the actual retention of rights for monday night raw
1: it's a good point but maybe advertising dollars are up too who knows who knows And
0: and that's the big problem with wrestling it's never been able to skew the type of advertising dollars that other traditional shows that also get the same type of audience does. So that's also one of the major reasons why it hasn't been on broadcast television as prominent as it maybe should have been over the course of the past 30 years. So all good points. We'll have to wait and see like a lot of these things. Again, today's
1: topic was, you know, the, the near future, what's going to happen, what's going to come. How's all, how are all the chips going to lie? Happy time murders. It's not going to make a lot of money. It's just not going to do it. 10 million or less she Princess of Power, I think will be a solid entry for, for Netflix uh, as a show. Those numbers really won't matter to any of us. Thundercats, Roar, uh, Cartoon Network putting it out there. We'll see if it can sustain to do two or three, maybe four seasons. Who knows? It could get its own film like Teen Titans Go! has coming out this summer. Uh, and then, of course, who knows what the numbers will be for WWE and Fox and what that partnership will look like going forward. And if we can see some of the XFL... As part of it or
0: not spare me but did you want to cover that last one the one we did, couldn't get to last week i got time man uh i think we should save it i think we should save it put it on the back burner one more week all right yeah. I, i'm in suspense myself because i haven't heard that what it is so i know i know i just keep dangling the carrot keep dangling it away well before we go i want to ask you I said it before. There's a lot of stuff going on when it comes to the world of Rob McCallum, and you got to check out today robmcallumfilms.com, which gives you an update on everything going on. But there is a lot going on in your world, my friend. You got to go ahead, give us the disclaimer, man. What is going out there? Tell us what's going on in your world and all the things you're working on. And I know you also were going to tell me or promise a kind of like a box art update as well.
1: Well, like you said, there is always a lot of stuff going on in my world. I mentioned last week how I've been uh, contracted to write a horror film, which is really interesting and exciting to get back in the world of narrative content since I've spent so much time in documentaries as of late. So looking forward to doing that and, and gearing that process up. Instead, um, of, the,
0: instead of the happy timers, the Nintendo Quest Murder.
1: You know, there's very much a version of that that could be cut together already that would be pretty scary for people to watch given some certain situations that, that arose on the road. But, uh, See but you the never deleted know if...
0: scenes where, where actually Rob is, actually has his hands on the th- throat of Jay Bartlett.
1: No, it's where flea market vendors want to want to kill us and they don't like our negotiation tactics and or they take us back to their house for, for the real secret good stuff that we must have that they'll hold out and nobody sees us ever. It'll be cool to, to write this horror film, and uh, I kind of won the contract, so to speak, because of an idea I pitched, and, and it made a lot of sense, and I'll be tackling it with um, my frequent collaborator, Justin Schoenrock of Creative Dynamic, who I teamed up with for the White Sox commercial, so that'll be cool to kind of spearhead that project with him as we get our ducks in a row on that one. And then, of course, box art, like you mentioned, because it's a series it takes... A little bit longer to do than just a 90-minute feature film, but I think in, in the case of the content that we're working with, it's to our advantage. And this week, I, I finished up the third of six episodes that, that we're going to have, and I'm just looking at the timeline now. I shared an image on our Box Art page on Facebook. So if you go to facebook.com slash boxartdoc, you can you can see some some people that we feature that are going to be featured The final documentary. And it's just been real fun to to structure these and include stuff. We've got an entire episode comprised of footage that we shot at E3, which is the last episode I did. We've got an episode with Mark Erickson, who's most uh, infamous for the Mega Man 2 North American cover. He also did Strider and Guerrilla War and Afterburner. Attention. Tim Gervin's in that episode as well, who did all the packaging for a Super Nintendo and, and Virtual Boy, and, re- and did the last kind of variant packaging of uh, the NES system. So he's got lots of good stories and showcases evolution of how those box designs change. And another episode with Gerald Brom, who you know was the artist on Diablo Two and Doom Two, and he walks us through his history and his approach to stuff. And in that episode, we've also got segments with Trip Hawkins, who's the founder of uh, EA, which is a pretty big company, you could say, as well as 3DO. And he talks about uh, the evolution of the box itself and how it went from a vinyl-like package to a, a Genesis clamshell and an NES box and then to a long box like the 3DO and early PlayStations were. And he, it's just, it's all fascinating because it's not just the cover, it's the form as well because the form dictates the cover. So there's, there's been a lot of cool stuff, and I'm working on an episode right now where it's going to be very hard for me to cut this down because we get to see in an, an really impressive collection of original illustrator boards. They, they did all the their work on illustrator boards as opposed to canvas, and we visit Dan Mareska, who's a producer on the project, and see his personal collection, see all these original pieces. So I got to see the original Snow Brothers for, for NES, uh, Panic Restaurant, Little Samson, you know, Mega Man, Blades of Steel, uh, Sonic Spinball, like Battletoads, Pac-Mania. There's just tons of stuff I got to see the original one-offs on. And he sits down for a nice interview, and he tours us through his collection and talks about how he got the pieces and what he likes about the pieces. I mean, that's a 20-minute episode right there. It could be but I don't know if everybody else is going to like it. So I'm really trying to pick the best of the best stuff from this tour and maybe include the whole thing on, on the extra DVDs, but it's just some really fascinating history that we get to check out and, and, and really witness. So it's, it's going incredibly well. And I would say above my expectations for, for this material. So we should have no issue crafting our, our six episode goal for, for the series.
0: Well, that's awesome to hear. And I know there's uh, even more stuff going around. Plus also as well, Galaxy Hope is still on Kickstarter, still going at it. Uh, There's still quite a few days to go, and people still have a chance to go ahead and and actually enter a tier, go ahead and support this cause today because it it all goes to a great worthwhile for our cause in the long run.
1: Yeah, Galaxy Hope is on Kickstarter. It's your chance to prove that fandom can be a force for good. $5 $5 gets you a digital download of, of the feature film, which is kind of a steal. I always look for those like no-brainer rewards and like to offer them to people. 5 bucks gets you part of the club and you get to see another kind of epic pop culture road trip with Jay and myself. This time going on a mission on behalf of Children's Health Foundation here in Canada to try to amass the coolest uh, collectible stuff of Star Wars nature so it can all be auctioned off with proceeds going to help uh, the Children's Health Foundation. It is kind of a, a really important pop culture mission, which is which is fun. It's more than just two guys having some fun on the road and, and checking out cool collectibles. There's there's some high stakes here where the the livelihood and life will get impacted of a bunch of people with the the results of our action. So five bucks, go to Kickstarter.com, search Galaxy of Hope become a backer today and if you've got a store a gaming store a toy store there's some sponsorship tier still available your your store t- like name could be an above the title kind of credit it, you, everybody in the world could see that forever if you want uh, some good advertising dollars so definitely check that out we've got about 10 days to go i think nine days maybe something along those lines depending on when you hear this either way the clock is ticking much like it will be for jay and i if we're able to hit the road with this film crew and make this happen so galaxy hope kickstarter.com five bucks be a part of it or get an awesome blu-ray chocked full of goodies
0: that's great to hear and again for all your updates go to kickstarter.com slash galaxy hope or his main site for all of the latest updates on his projects rob mccallumfilms.com rob Films robmccallanfilms on facebook and of course rob mczob on twitter or you can send us a message as well here at pop culture cosmos rob Been a good one, my friend. I just truly appreciate you sitting down and talking to me once again on everything going in pop culture. And I feel like going out and doing like a royal rumble myself right now. After all that, there you
1: go. Take on. Just picture yourself beating up either a bunch of cop-like puppets or some uh, oddly animated cat people.
0: Well, that's what you know. Social. I'm sure you can
1: find both on the strip in Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, and they're trying to ask for tips every time you take a picture of them. Yeah. But we won't go there. Rob, as always, it's been great having you on the show. Of course, being part of the pop culture cosmos and as well a member, a true found member of the Cosmic (laughs) Crossfire.